I just want to draw the attention to all the listeners that uh, Ogan definitely just said pinch a loaf. Um, but um, Kirk knows my, my level of humor. Seventy-three of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. Catch new episodes weekly as the Reverend Shannon Meacham, Hogan Holder, and his special guests address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. As I am reading this introduction, that means Shannon is out again. The show did not fall off the rails with me in charge last week. I'd just like to state that for the record. So she's out again for another week. Filling in for her is Kirk Berlinbach. Kirk is a priest working for the Episcopal Diocese of Pennsylvania. His work focuses on helping churches shift their orientation outwards and adapt to the realities of the 21st century. He and his wife, Becky, live in Philadelphia near their three college-age children. He practices Aikido, loves gardening, cooking, music, and reading, as well as sampling all the great beer Philly has to offer. He's a renaissance man for sure. Welcome to the show, Kirk. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Or to say welcome back, I understand you were here before when I wasn't, so welcome back. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Kirk, are all three of your college-age kids living back at home right now? Oh, yeah. Ah, the Uh, joys of 2020. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We can talk about that later. Uh, And in our third chair, returning champion, Rabbi Eli Friedman. (laughs) Eli's major works of areas of work at Rodef Shalom include social justice initiatives, adult education, working with young adults and young families. He, his wife, Laurel, and their daughters, Josephine and Nora, live in the wonderful Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia where they used to enjoy dining out and live music, but now just sit at home all day, every day, in this year that will never end. Welcome back. Do you like that edit to my bio that I threw in there? You know what? Here's the thing. I didn't read the whole thing through till that moment. I was like, what's happening right now? I was kind of hoping you weren't going to read, you were going to just read it live in that moment, not even notice it. Did not, did not notice. You know me well. That just like zero prep. You, the listener, can show your love for Pump Theology live by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Get access to some extended interviews with special guests, some before and after the show banter with video. And you can visit patreon.com slash ptlive to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons. By the way, you can get started for as low as $2 a month. That's like pocket change, pocket change. And if you would like one of these fantastic Pub Theology tumblers, which you can't see right now and because this is an audio podcast and we're not doing our usual Facebook stream. <laughs> I'm a creature of habit, man. But we have these wonderful Pub Theology logo pint glasses. You can get one. Simply donate $25 or more to nokid.hungry. Visit nokid, nokidhungry.org. Sorry, nokidhungry. 
Um, they're a national organization that helps provide meals to families in need, something that is sorely needed during this pandemic time. We are not getting any of this money. It's going all to them. You donate it to them directly. You DM us. Uh, proof of your donation, uh, email or pick up the receipt or whatever. And we will ship you one of these glasses at no cost to you. So you're coming up winner, winner, big winner. You get a pint glass, you do something good for humanity. And that's milkandhungry.org. And in true lifestyle, our episodes are now being streamed on Facebook Live as we are recording them, usually Tuesdays around 5-ish uh 5:30ish maybe um you'll notice maybe the last two episodes we were not doing that for a whole host of reasons we'll describe later basically Brian hijacked the uh the uh Zoom account for his campaign and we got to use somebody else's it's a whole story long story short you can still uh join the conversation on Twitter Facebook YouTube Instagram use the hashtag PT live I think after the election when's the election again next week not too soon enough November 3rd November 3rd that's right so after November 3rd we'll probably be uh live streaming this stuff again so today we are discussing Halloween candy election anxiety loving God and expanding the notion of pro-life as usual all the light stuff mm. Let us begin by sharing what we are drinking. Kirk, as our extra special guest, what are you drinking today? I'm going to, I saved it to crack it on screen here nice. too. What oh, is it? Love City? Love City Lager. Uh, I, I wasn't <laughs> kidding with my bio. Um, we must have 18 breweries in the city limits, maybe more. And it's just like they keep popping up new ones and you know, I can't even keep up just with the beer in the city limits. And then you go the five counties around, you know, four counties around Philadelphia and probably double that number. Um, so, you know, nice. you don't have to leave Philly metro area and you've got 50 breweries, um, maybe more. Uh, so, you know, part of it is just being a local vore and, and also in this time wanting to uh, make sure we're supporting local businesses, especially our bars and breweries and stuff that are having a hard time. So I'm having Love City Lager, which they will deliver by the case to your door. Ooh, nice. Very inexpensively. So Ooh. you don't even have to go out if you're COVID cautious. Will, will they mail it all the way to Massachusetts? I don't think we're allowed to do that in the state. Uh, com the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has some very archaic alcohol laws. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we need a national strategy for COVID and bear sales. That's what we need. Anyways, uh, Rabbi Eli, what are you drinking? Well, now I kind of feel like a jerk because Why? I normally go local and my excuse was I, I didn't have time to go to any of the local breweries to pick anything up this week and I got something delivered, but I totally now realize I could have just gotten something local delivered. But um, the more you know, went, man, the more you know. But I think my beers are, they, they speak to something, which is a little bit of, you know, 2020 fatigue. Um, I went with uh, Kona Brewing Company, which I had a chance oh. to visit years Ooh, ago. Oh, I love them. Um, this is their uh, Kua Bay uh, yes. IPA. It's kind of, I'm just dreaming of those vacations that we're going to get to take in, you know, five years. Mm -hmm. And um, and then because, Ogan, we said maybe this will be a two beer episode. There's no uh, maybe about it. No maybe and about also it. Also a, a pretty good one for 2020. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, Oscar Blues Goodnight, which is a uh, 8.3 oh, wow. uh, uh, Imperial Red IPA. So um, yeah. <laughs> You drinking that one first, just to get off. <laughs> I was gonna. I'll start with the Kona. We'll start light and see. Yeah, where start we're light at. and work your way up. There you go. 
Uh, yes, I'm thinking of Tuber night because I am not teaching a class after this show like I've been doing for the last few Tuesdays. I'm also uh, um, mail ordering my beer, this from a Colorado brewery. Um, and wait, let me find the name of the brewery. Where did it go? Oh, uh, it is from Broomfield, Colorado, the Four Noses Brewing Company. It's mm. Pump Action IPA Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Very, uh, very Halloween appropriate. There you go. And sticking with the Halloween theme, um, picked this up the other day, our friends at Southern Tier, the Warlock sure. Imperial Pumpkin Stout. It's a great one. So we're going to go with those. I think I will start with the four noses and go from there. So, yeah, it is almost Halloween for what that's going to be worth. Um uh, I, I can't wait to hear what um, Eli's kids are going to be doing. But the question is, most annoying Halloween candy, what is the best Halloween candy? We have this debate every year. And I'll throw on the, uh, Eli, what are your kids doing for Halloween? Are you guys staying safe if you're going to yeah, go trick-or-treating? So and Kurt, your kids are home. Are they going to go trick-or-treating? I know they're grown, but that's probably not going to stop them. What's happening? <laughs> so thoughts on Halloween candy and then thoughts on trick-or-treating this year. Sure. So I'm going to go with, um, it's kind of an obvious, I know it's controversial, but my least favorite candy corn. It's disgusting. You can, you can fight me if you want, but I just think it's gross. I know some people love it, but it's like sugary wax. There's no redeeming value to it whatsoever. Far, far from fighting you, I will be your hype man for that. <laughs> you ain't got to worry. Perfect. That's nasty, nasty stuff. I, I know there's some people that feel really strong and then favorite. Ooh, that's a little harder, but anything that's got chocolate, maybe some peanuts or peanut butter in there. I'm, I'm pretty happy. Um, the kids we've, we've decided, you know, mostly cause they're young and they don't really know that much anyway. Um, we're going to stay home in an abundance of caution and just gotcha. one less people on the streets, um, walking around. I think honestly, you know, of all the activities you can do trick or treating is probably safer than, you know, having a big rally inside a stadium somewhere with a bunch of unmasked people screaming. Yeah, um, a mask, mask built into the whole event, right? <laughs> but but we've decided, you know, we're really, we, we take things very seriously and just trying to think about public health in general. So we're going to be staying at home. We'll do some Zoom parties with some friends, mm-hmm. going to do some costumes, lots of cake decorating, pumpkin carving, make a really good time for them. Gotcha. Sounds like a plan. Where, where, do, you, where do you land on the uh, Halloween candy debate here, Kirk? Well, for least favorite, I, I don't hate candy corn, although I don't know how you would give it out at Halloween, you know, hygienically. That's kind of gnarly. Uh, so I'm with you on that. that um, in there, the big bin, you know. I am not a lover of coconut. So I'm going to say mounds or almond joy just because I don't know what coconut to do in a candy. But uh, I can see it in baked goods maybe, but... Uh, for favorite, I'm going to go really old school, and I don't think I'll ever see it again. But the hundred thousand dollar bar, the mm. hundred grand, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, they which they renamed a hundred grand, yeah, mm. with the rice krispies and the caramel and the chocolate, kind of digging that. Um, so, uh, yeah, Alrighty. but my kids will not, you know, they haven't gone out trick or treating in probably four or five years and they're the youngest is 19 so they stopped doing that at 
maybe 14, 15, something like that. But they do enjoy giving out candy. I just don't know. We live in a great neighborhood for trick-or-treating. I just don't know what we'll see. And I'm hearing people like, oh, we're setting up a tube to slide the candy down. And it's like, yeah, I've seen those. Or you just throw it at them. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here, save yeah. the distance. Oh. I don't like your costume. Oops, throw it to the roses. Sorry. Exactly. Make them work for it. Catch the candy. You catch exactly. it and keep it. <laughs> and exactly. You can do some trick candies, you know, try some, uh, tie some dental floss and then chuck it and soon as you get close, yank it back. <laughs> Halloween and April Fools all roll into one. Trademark, you're welcome. Uh, the, the best the best trick-or-treating we previously to moving here, we lived in the Roxborough neighborhood of the city. And there was one house that would give out, and this is no lie, a can of soda and a tasty cake pie to every kid. Hogan, you probably don't know about tasty cakes. No, oh, that no, is I was like, about to ask, not a clue. There, it, you know, like Entenmann's, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a packaged baked good that's made in Philadelphia, but uh, Hostess Cupcakes, but they're like- It's gonna ask if it's like- Infinitely queen. superior. Infinitely, yes. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I, I recently had a friend in Israel actually write me and we were going to send her a little care package. And she said the one thing, she's like, can you just send me tasty cakes? <laughs> Philadelphians from all over the world, like this is what, what they want. All right. Duly, duly, duly noted. Um, I, uh, I, got a, I got a friend in Philly who is currently convalescent. I might, I'm, I'm trying to see if it can work out a visit to see her safely. If I can, I'll be on the lookout for those, for sure. So, what about you, Ogan? What's your? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm also on the uh, hated hated candy corn bandwagon, um, but for me, so I grew up in Barbados, a a British uh, old British colony. Um, sure. So, so my chocolate experiences were all Cadbury, the Cadbury mm -hmm. British Chocolate Company based. Um, Flake. Was that no? There's one called Flake. a crunch called a crunchy. Okay. Oh, it's like, like a honeycomb. Yeah. Center. Like a much better Butterfingers, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's like airy on the inside. And yes. Like oh, I remember yes. that for being in yes, England. Yes, yes, yes. So that's my all-time favorite. In fact, uh, uh, my daughter, who's 20 and in college, she also loves them. I just gave her a stack of them for her birthday a couple months ago. She was so happy. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm going for, but I always, I also have a weakness for Skittles. That's, that's my, um, my go-to candy weakness and it's the rainbow. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm also a fan of Kit Kat and Twix. I remember when my, when my daughter went, um, would go trick or treat in and she comes back, I would pull out all the Twix and the Skittles <laughs> mini packs and she would be so upset. And I'll be like, listen, girl, I brought you into this world. You owe me. I'll be honest. I'm actually, I'm probably more disappointed about the trick-or-treating than my kids are because they don't even, you know, they're young enough, six and two. They don't even fully realize it all. Right. But uh, but I'm bummed because I'm not getting all the candy. Exactly. Like, I, know, I know I could go to the store and buy it, but it's just not the same. That is free candy you're missing out on. And one year, my daughter decided she would try to get the better of me by hiding a bunch of candy and she forgot about it until until we saw the trail of ants going under some corner of her bedroom. <laughs> We're like, where are these ants coming in? Two months later, this is the, this pile of sweaty candy. <laughs> oh, memories, memories, memories. So um, also um, happening soon on a scale of one to 10, how worried are you about the outcome of 
November 3rd. I think the scale's not big enough. Scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you? How are you managing your anxiety? Prayer, activism, volunteering, avoiding the news. And I tack this on, since you guys are both uh, Philadelphia-based, and we just, speaking about activism, uh, we just had a shoot-in there. Um, I want to check in with you guys about what might be the situation on the ground and how people are really feeling around all that because, you know, you, you, you only have a filtered perspective when you watch the news. So let's start with the uh, outcome on November 3rd. How worried are you guys? And if you're worried, how you're coping with your worry or anxiety? To, uh, to quote Spinal Tap, uh, this one goes to 11. I think... Um... Yeah. I think we're all, you know, just so, so anxious right now and amped up and, um, uh, you know, I'll say, uh, I'll just speak to the, to the stuff in Philly. And one of the things that really makes me anxious is just the way like these events get, get twisted and get used by the national media. And I, I was even seeing like, even the headlines of the, of the Washington Post this morning was like that it started with like rioting, looting, um, you know, police injured, car burned. And it was mm -hmm. like, you missed the headline, guys. The headline was, you know, a, a, a black man who had mental illness, you know, little Walt was shot and killed by police in what probably didn't have to be a fatal shooting. Right. Um, and, and I'm worried that this, just like everything else, is just going to get politicized. And I feel for his family and I feel for the community. And suddenly, how, how soon are we going to hear on the campaign trail? You know, look, I told you bad things happen in Philadelphia. And, and it's just, I, I just feel for them. I feel for our community that's, that's working to try to create a more just police force, to try to create a better society here in, in our community. And, and it's just become another tool of, of kind of these campaigns right now. Yeah. Where are you, Kirk? Yeah, so I, I'm definitely with Eli. I, I'm actually a little bit closer to it, to where the, where the shooting happened yeah. than Eli. Um, um, and it's, you know, it's impacting my neighborhood. My son went to the grocery store and it was boarded up and closed wow. um, because the CVS, there was an attempt to break in at the CVS uh, in the wee hours this morning. And I think, that, you know, uh, corridors are bracing for what may happen tonight. Um, it is very, you know, obviously that is very concerning, but I would go back to what Eli said. Um, yeah, I, I feel, I do not understand the mentality of folks that coordinate amongst themselves and drive up to sneaker stores and empty them into their cars and drive away. I don't understand what that's about. I don't think it has a damn thing to do with the man whose life was just lost um, or the laws in our policing system or systemic racism. Um, but at the same time, in talking with a colleague uh, and a good friend of mine who happens to be a woman of color, um, she's like, I could give a damn about the sneakers right now. You know, you're, you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I do think it highlights um, the, the need, you know, for us to understand, you know, to, to bring into sharp focus issues of racial justice, racial inequity, and how we structure our police force and how we train our police and what assumptions are built into that. And like our public school teachers, 
how many extra duties we're piling on to their shoulders that are just not, they're not trained to be mental health professionals. Like and I can't not- tell you how many police chiefs I've heard say, yes, please stop giving us all the money and fund, you know, some social workers to come on the beat with us because we don't, we don't want to respond to, to calls that are mental health related where a person, maybe a person didn't get their medication for that day and, and they're, they're reacting badly. Like that's, that's not what we're here for. It's, it's, so it's, you know, and, and it does, unfortunately, I think to, if you want to tie it into November 3rd, it, it, this is all brought into sharp focus by very different visions of what America should be about um, and what should be prioritized. Um, uh, So um, I am probably uh, well up the river of denial uh, on a (laughs) chartered cruise uh, in feeling confident about the outcome of the election, but (laughs) I do not know where I will be if uh, I'm wrong about that. Well, uh, for me, on a scale of one to 10, I'm only really at like a three. And here's why. Because, excuse me, um, both of our choice, uh, the choices that we have between Trump and Biden, neither of them are my preferred choice. I think neither of them are the preferred choice of a lot of people, right? So, so no matter who wins, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> There's that. Uh, two, no matter who wins, the next day, all this stuff is still there. All the all the dysfunction is still there. All the broken systems are still there. The need to dismantle the systemic racist policies are still there. Like all this work that we've started doing is still there. None of that changes the day after. Uh, so, so in terms of anxiety, it's like my anxiety is more about the fact of like there's this long haul road we have to 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 turn things around. Will it be easier? Maybe with with Biden in the White House, maybe, but it's still going to be a lot of work. Right. So that isn't it's not changed. We as we as spiritual people, our work is still the same, you know, creating space for people to to transform themselves and their consciousness and build up their spiritual life. That doesn't change the day after the election, uh, you know, and I think also there won't be as much of a shock value if Trump gets reelected. Like we were, many of us were shocked the first time, right? Cause we didn't think this would happen. And I don't know why we didn't think that when he got the nomination in the first place. Uh, and we've seen the rise of white supremacy. So that doesn't change the day after the election either. In fact, if I'm anxious about anything is if Trump loses, that that's gonna, they're gonna be even more feeling emboldened to do something about the election. So, so maybe there's a little more anxiety there, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. Are you seeing an anxiety among your, your congregation or Kirk, is this something you're seeing in in congregations? And I wonder, you know, something we're doing at Road of Shalom kind of preemptively at my congregation is that night on November 3rd, we're just having like an open Zoom room. It's just going to be a place for people to like come and we're going to have some singing. We'll do some prayer and more than anything, just like to talk and a place like to be with community, like to deal with some of that anxiety because we're probably not going to know that night. Right. No, I think that's what a lot of people are saying, but, but just to be there, what is, what is our role as clergy 
in comforting folks, in, in helping folks through that anxiety. I remember, I remember four years, four years ago, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching the news because I love to watch uh, broadcasters on election night because this is this is this is like their Christmas night, right? It's Super Bowl, right? <laughs> exactly, there's their Super Bowl, and I'm just watching them just get excited for the slightest thing, and I'm on Facebook like poking fun at them, and then as the results are coming in, I'm like, oh, this is this is taking a turn, and within the space of four hours, I am I've transformed from. Uh, spectator making fun of broadcasters to being in pastoral care or people are beginning mm-hmm. to lose their ever-loving minds as they realize, oh my God, Trump is actually going to win this thing. And and we had one of those gatherings like the night after. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think we, I didn't schedule on for this time because I'm pretty clear he's not, not it's not that he's going to win or lose, but we, we are probably not going to know the results that night we're probably not even going to know the results by the next sunday um maybe by sunday but maybe by sunday if we're lucky well you know there's this whole thing with him already making plans to challenge results so who knows hopefully by next sunday so that one way or the other it's done and we can deal with the uh with the aftermath but but yeah i think uh i'm not i'm not freaking out about it i probably also i'm not freaking out about it because i haven't escaped I have an escape clause, so like, if he wins again, I'm heading back to Barbados. Like, you, you have dual citizenship, Ogan. Oh, you bet your ass. <laughs> I will. I will say, you know, being a Jew, it's it's nice to always know that Israel is always there for us. And exactly. The moment I could go there and make Aliyah if I needed to. Um, there you go. Thankfully, I don't think we're at that point in America yet. But uh, yeah, Kirk, I don't know if you have that escape plan. But uh. no, no. But some some European countries have a right to return if you can prove enough of your ancestry. There you go. So for Eli, I don't know. You know, you're frying frying pan into fire with uh, Netanyahu there. Pal. I was going to say <laughs> I mean, he's just as bad. You, you know him. him Cut from the yeah, same cloth. Yeah. Put the three of them together. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So in Matthew 22, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. What does it mean to love God? Can this command be understood apart from the follow-up? Love your neighbor as yourself. So yeah. Where do you guys land on this? What does it mean to love God? I'll start with just a reminder. I know Brian wrote these. Um, yeah, that's Brian, always our Brian, disc- that's our disclaimer every week. <laughs> Brian Brian does know his Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, and just a reminder that that you know Jesus did say it, but you know the OG, the original was Deuteronomy six five. Is, is where Jesus is quoting from. And of course, love your neighbor comes originally from Leviticus nineteen. So oh, yeah. um, you know just. Jesus, remember where you got your material from. Exactly. <laughs> he, Eli, he does say, you know, the summary of the law is this. Hey. So he, he, we, we Christians are the ones who have amnesia on that. Jesus yes. was perfectly clear on it. I was so. going to say, he was a good Jewish boy. He knew. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Christianity, the, cl- the Torah cliff notes. <laughs> there you go. Oh. So how how do you guys interpret that? What does it mean to love God? Yeah, you know, I'll say for me, um, I'm a big fan of the Jewish theologian Martin Buber, who who talked about God in our relationships with one another. 
this, mm. what he called kind of dialectic theology. And I think when we love, an, I think the two are one and the same, right? When we love another person, when we truly meet somebody, when we see them for the wholeness of who they are, not as an object or some means to an ends, that is our way of loving God. I mean, it's as simple as that in my, in my theology. What do you think, Kirk? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I don't know how you can psychologically, sociologically, I, you know, what would it mean to be a human apart from relationships? There are humans who choose to become hermits or hermitesses, you know, um, but that's only after being in relationships. So they still understand the world in terms of relationships. So I don't know how, you know, if you were somehow or another, you know, raised to a point of, you know, raised in isolation and left alone your whole life, you know, I don't know. Would you have a concept of God? What would that be? You know, who, who, who knows? I would think to think that God designs us, you know, it's in our nature to be relational. I think there are some people who choose to avoid relationships for a variety of reasons, but they're a small, very small minority. Um, well, I think you're going to experience God in a, like a very individualistic contemplative manner as well. Um, so, so I think, I think that's, that's part and parcel of it. I don't, you know, to the point you guys are saying, I don't think you get the full picture or experience outside of a relation relationship with other uh, people. Um, I always say to my folks, relationships are the greatest spiritual practice that there is. So, so when, when they start to become challenging, don't run away from them. Mm. That's, those are, those are people pushing the buttons in you to, to learn about yourself and therefore learn about your, the, the fullness of your divinity and your, your, the potential you have to love and to be the peace and to, uh, to, yes. to, to stay connected. So, so that's why they are. Um, so, so. So when I when I think of that love God, I think that's which I think you guys are alluding to. Um, how how can we be the most complete embodiment of all that God is? Yeah. Um, and 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 to do that is to make God be felt, be seen, be heard, be experienced in through and as us. The famous Rabbi Akiva of the first century in the Talmud. There's a famous line. Um, and I'm not suggesting that any of us do this, but in Rabbi Akiva's martyrdom, when the Romans are killing him, and it's like the most one of the most gruesome deaths we read about, like they're you know flaying the skin, you know, off his body. In that moment, he utters those words from Deuteronomy, you know, um, which is considered one of the the most important texts in our Jewish tradition. You should love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the the commentary says that it, it, Akiva apparently said in that moment, I never knew what those words meant until this moment. I never felt like I could truly, um, truly, you know, love God with all my heart, with all my might. And then that moment of martyrdom, he says, I finally fulfilled this commandment. I finally done it. I don't think it takes martyring yourself to truly love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. But I, I get what Akiva's saying there, the intensity of it, the the, the, that we would, how much would you give, right? Like how much would you put on the line to truly love God or to love another person? Um, what of your own privilege would you give up, right? I think those, I think that's what Akiva's maybe getting at. Or, or was it that as his skin was being flayed off his body, he was hating to humanity so much that God was always left to love. Mm. Just saying. No, it's, it's powerful. 
because because you know i've been i've i've been the metaphysical uh sorry the the metaphorical martyr at times i can't imagine like actually doing it physically bodily uh nor do i wish that on anyone yeah <laughs> you know but yeah there's that, that i'm not gonna be happy with humanity at that point like the, Ro the romans would be enough to make to make any of us uh, <laughs> i'm just glad i'm born now humanity. i'm, I'm just glad that. i'm living in these times not those times yeah that's all i gotta Ooh. say about that <laughs> so so um so the whole thing about love your neighbor as yourself and this here's where i think in a weird way this is this is the problem um and why the world looks the way it does. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? But how much do we love ourselves? Uh, and this is why the world looks the way it does. Um, I remind people, we can only love another to the extent with which we love ourselves. And I think this is sort of the implied statement here as well. Um, and not to get in a whole like big psychological like deconstruction here, but can we ever truly love ourselves to the extent that I would say we are asked to love God? Can we love ourselves with our all, with our entire heart, soul, and might? Can we love, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Can we, can we love God that way? Even if we uh, don't love ourselves that way, how can we love anything other outside or within ourselves more than we love ourselves? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's true. I think they're connected. And, you know, um, in Judaism, and I think in a lot of traditions, we talk about kind of self-repair in Judaism, we talk, we use two words, tikkun midot and tikkun olam. Tikkun olam, people probably heard a lot, repair of the world. Tikkun midot is repair of our characteristics, our personal characteristics. And they're seen as intrinsically connected, right? Like uh, the famous Rabbi Hillel, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, what am I? This right. idea that we have to take care of ourselves, we have to love ourselves, we have to do that work on ourselves because how else can we go out there and love the world and change the world and do that work? I think it's it's exactly right. Um, if we are broken inside, how can we be expected to fix the world? What do you think, Kirk? Interesting, interesting questions. Um, So I think that there are people of faith who, at least based on um, their actions and their dedications, whether it's Rabbi Akiva or any of the martyrs, right, who have placed their love of God and their commitment to righteousness um, uh, above the value of their own life. And, you know, at least, you know, looking at just as looking at human beings as animals, and only, you know, only within that animal lens, right? Preservation of your own life, right. perhaps a mother protecting her children, but otherwise, you know, you don't, you wouldn't give up your Children life. Shouldn't, you, shouldn't exist, right? Right. You, you, you protect your own life above everything else because that's in that reptilian part of our brain mm -hmm. to survive. Um, so to overcome that, to be able to give your life for some greater purpose, um, I, you know, I suppose that's that's in the right direction. I'm I'm just intrigued. I'm I'm intrigued by what you guys are talking about. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, can you love God if you don't love yourself, or to, does that delimit the extent to which you can love God? That, that's well, from from 
from not just my like denominational perspective of unity that states you know basically god god is the the fullness of god is present at the point of who i am so i am the embodiment of the divine for me it's 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 if if you know god god is manifest as love so if i'm not fully loving myself then i'm not i'm not living up to the potential of divine love that i am therefore uh how 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 can how can i how can i love anything more if that makes sense and i think in a sense if we um so so parents for example so parents will say you know some parents will say you know i love my children more than i love myself i always point out that's not the healthiest approach <laughs> um because because it's in and i understand what parents are saying i'm a parent i will lay you down do, my life you do anything for your child i would do anything for my kid i will lay down my life for my kid mm-hmm. but my kid will be the first one to tell you that uh, when it comes to um, putting her needs before my needs, yeah, she usually comes up on the short end of the stick. And I and I say to her in response to that, listen, if I put your needs wholly before mine all the time, and I'm not talking about like, yeah, there are specific situations where we make sacrifices for our children. Mm-hmm. But if I make your happiness the priority before my happiness, if I make your well-being the priority wholly i'm not talking about specific examples but broad strokes before mine then i am going to be depleted and i can't be a good parent if i am depleted i've got to nourish myself i got to put my mask on as the plane's going down i got to put my mask on first so i don't pass out before i put yours on right Mm -hmm. so 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 for me it's it's the i've got to love myself even more so that then I have something to love you with. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm not doing that, then I don't think it's really love. I think it's something else. It might be obsession. It might be codependence. It might be, uh, yeah, but it's not, it's not true, genuine love. And, and that's not being selfish either. That's, you know, it's, it's, I would say, you know, when I was, Growing up in my uh, evangelical Christian church, we sang that lovely Bible song, J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. I'm like, that's a recipe for dysfunction, right? No. Jesus first, yourself Yourself last, last, and others in between, J-O-Y. I'm like, "Mm, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's healthy. Mm. You, 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 I, God or, and yourself, and for me, God and myself are synonymous, right? I'm, I'm God and God is me. We're, we're one, we're one and the same. So, so that's, that's first. And then yes, other second, you know, and as I remind, as a pastor, I remind my congregants, then maybe you are third, you are not, I'm not loving you more than I love myself. So just, just get the order straight. (laughs) I think a part of this also, the other, the other sort of question that this whole conversation brings up to me is who is our neighbor? Right. Yes. And I, and I I know in the original context of what this is written and we are not originalists here. um, I don't think um, they were talking about like their very physical neighbor and probably co-religionist, same, 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 you know, um, skin color, all this kind of thing. Right. 
Um, but what is neighbor nowadays? I think of a famous quote by Rabbi uh, Joachim Prinz, who was uh, introduced uh, Martin Luther King at, um, uh, at the civil rights rally in DC. And he, he said, love your neighbors yourself. He said, neighbor is not a geographic concept. Neighbor is a moral, moral concept. Right. I've always loved that line. And I guess, yeah. what does that mean today? Who is our neighbor? Anybody, right? anybody that's not you. <laughs> it's basically your is basically your neighbor. And, and I actually used this quote recently. Uh, so back in Barbados, and I've mentioned this on the show before, back in my home country, Barbados, the government just came out and said it will support civil unions. They're not ready to go to a, a same-sex marriage yet, but civil unions. Yeah, same level as the Pope. Pretty much, right? Which everybody's like, oh, the Pope's so awesome. I'm like, mm, really? But yeah. anyways. Better than nothing. <laughs> really? But anyways, the uh, so so um, so what I've said is um, so every once in a while, like some friends I grew up in the church with who were still very ensconced in the church and uh, the traditional Christian church and are throwing around scripture that it's, you know, it's trying to support their anti LGBTQ claims. I said, listen, if they're if you call yourself Christian and you're following the teachings of Jesus, like if there's anything Jesus taught in his life, according to the gospels, is that, yes, we have the law here and we follow the law, except, except when the law puts another human life at risk. He, loving your neighbor takes precedent over following the law. He followed this when the woman was about to be stoned. According to the scripture, she was caught in adultery. She and the man who was nowhere to be found, that's a whole other story, she, by the law, should have been stoned. And Jesus didn't say, you know, the law was wrong, but he demonstrated in, in the, you know, without sin cast the first stone that, that, that he, the sanctity of, of, of her life and forgiveness and compassion superseded the law. When it was the whole thing around uh, picking, picking ears of grain on the Sabbath, and they were all like, ooh, you pick grain on the Sabbath, you know, naughty, naughty sort of deal. And he's like, wait, are we supposed to let people starve to death, basically? No, the man is not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath is made for the man. So Jesus throughout his life demonstrated this, like, when the law stops us from loving another person, we got to love the person over the law. And, and for me, that's the message of of his life. And, and I think that goes back to the loving your neighbor as yourself, because trust me, if I'm starving, if I'm, if I'm being strict with, for example, following that law of no work on the Sabbath and I'm starving to death, trust me, I'm going to do what it takes to get some food in my belly. Uh, thou shalt not steal. If I'm starving to death, trust me, I'm going to go pinch a loaf of bread, especially if I got a kid that needs to eat as well. Right. So there's that too. I just want to draw the attention to all the listeners that uh, Ogan definitely just said pinch a loaf. Um, but um, Kirk knows my, my level of humor. I'll say Kirk, I'll say Ogan though. I, I really appreciate that because you know, what's so interesting is that the rabbinic tradition evolved really alongside of Christianity and Jesus, right? They're writing at the same time. And the rabbis took some of the same issues with the Torah um, and with that text. And actually the way they, pull upon that same thing is they look at a text in Leviticus where God says, and all these commandments, you shall live by them. And the rabbis say, that means you shall live by them and not die by them. 
Nice. And therefore, the preservation of life takes precedence over any commandment. I think yeah. Jesus goes goes further in yeah. that way and says, you know, really just love goes further than any of those commandments. But um, and but I, I think th that's what he meant when he said, I'm here to fulfill the law, not destroy the law, but fulfill it. Like, yeah, these laws were intended for a certain purpose. But what's what we've gone to the point where we're so strict about following the letter of the law that we're destroying ourselves in the process. That's a piece that's missing. So I'm here to I'm here to fill in that that piece that we're missing. And I'll make a plug for all of our uh, for anyone to join Patreon because you can see the video where Kirk's really cute cat is jumping <laughs> all over him right now. And I'm getting such a kick out of this. And he's not. I love. I love the moment two seconds ago. Like the cat just jumped on his shoulder and jumped to the couch, and he didn't even flinch. Like <laughs> you're used to this on Zoom calls, Kirk. Yeah. That's, I would have jumped a little bit. Um, all right. Uh, let's dive into the politics now, because. It's Brian making these questions. Joel Hunter, a high profile evangelical pastor in Florida, recently announced his support for Biden and received a lot of blowback, including the cancellation of his radio show on evangelical radio stations and canceled speaking engagements. Quote, there is some sort of connection that can be traced through history, through some strands of almost hysterical Christianity. In times of stress, you exaggerate the roundness of the other side so you can justify both your own righteousness and your own overreaction in fighting what you see as the enemy. Discuss this penchant that humans have for otherizing. Alrighty. So. Otherizing, I love that word. I don't know if Brian invented that, but I, I think that's like, it's very powerful. So why do we otherize? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I think you're on to, I mean, I think it is fundamentally in our, again, going back to the primitive part of our brain and in our, our, the basic um, way in which we react with, interact with the world, uh, because that's the challenge, going back to the love your neighbor, right? Well, if I love the world equally, how do I discriminate? You know, I only have so much help to give, so much food yeah. to share, whatever, how do I determine that, right? So if I focus on me and mine or those like me and mine, it becomes easier. So, but that's how we wind up with tribalism. And so those who aren't part of me and mine are the other. Um, I, what I was intrigued by, Ogan, was the observation that in times of stress, mm. this mm. tendency is accentuated. And that I think is a very helpful thing to remember that the, um, the tribalism that we see going on in our country, which is so inhibiting the capacity for dialogue or cooperation or seeing anything, um, you know, seeing the other side as anything other than evil, wrong, you know, bad for the country, you know, um, I think it's because of our collective stress. I mean, you know, things are things are fraying for a variety of reasons, um, economic reasons, globalism. I mean, let's that's let's look at that's a that's a global trend to push back against globalism and retreat into the tribalism of my nation, right? I yeah. mean, that's not that's not even confined to um, 
the West, it's the Philippines, it's um, what's his face in Brazil, it's, you know, it's, Sonora. yeah, I mean, this, you know, so when we were starting to be a little more inclusive and think globally, the reactionary forces caused people to retreat. I can't remember who said it. There's a great quote, tribalism binds and blinds. Yeah. And I lo- I've always loved that idea, right? That, that, that there is some positives to like, I mean, it sounds awful, right? But like, there are some positives to it. This is our traditions. We're all in unique denominations. Like there is tribalism there and it brings our people together. Um, and the question is, is there a way, I guess, that, that we can bring our group together without creating an other and without othering? And that's really hard. I don't know if that's even, if that is possible. Um, but I, I appreciate what you, what you picked up on, Kirk, that you're right. It is so much more right now. And there's something about the anxiety that, 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 that causes us to turn inward as this defense mechanism. And we've got to remember that we're also the... We, we forget to remember, we forget to remember, who should not have opened that second beer. Uh, we just forget the extra stress of the fact that we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. Like that is just exacerbating everything uh, that, that we're going through right now. Um, I remind people like we're in the midst of a traumatic event and that that evokes a certain like fight or flight or freeze response from us. Toilet paper, man. Toilet paper. Right? You know, so that's happening. And here's the, here's the even more like worrisome thing is that, you know, you know, when a vaccine happens or, you know, it stops being this like a deathly contagion thing that's always present in our mind, we're gonna, we're still gonna have to deal with the post-traumatic stuff that comes up from it being over. So this doesn't end when there's a vaccine. All the emotional uh, like weight and stress that we're feeling right now does not end when the vaccine shows up. And I don't know that we are preparing ourselves for that. Um, so that, that's going to happen too. But um, I think, I, think uh, I just did a whole uh, talk series on a book by uh, Gary Zukov called Spiritual Partnerships. And he really... He really uh, crouches this in in language of we're either responding from the frightened part of ourselves or from the loving part of ourselves, and I think when we are under these stress moments we respond from the frightened part of ourselves and what the frightened part of ourselves wants to do is find others who agree with us so that we might be comforted Mm. right and not go to the loving part of ourselves which says oh this is an opportunity for us to learn something about ourselves and heal part of ourselves has been triggered and therefore grow in, you know, grow spiritually, grow emotionally, whatever. And I think um, that's what's been happening with us. And we started equating um, different, different, um, I guess, beliefs or preferences around how we govern to differences with the people to their wrong. So that's the natural progression of what happens. And there's no right or wrong here. It's just differences. And, you know, as I say that out loud, I realize that 
They may well, be right. Wrong. They're wrong. There, but, there, uh, they, they are some wrongs. They are wrongs. Yes, they they are wrongs. When you when you have a when you have a system of policies that that continually disenfranchise certain people, whether they're black or they're gay, separate children from their parents, like female, right? That sort of stuff. Yeah, that's 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 wrong. Okay. No, but I hear what you're saying, Ogan. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I feel like um, at the start of this pandemic, um, our family was actually we were we were working really hard to um, eat eat much healthier. And specifically, we were vegan, actually, in January. We had done this whole month of vegan, and we were into February. We stayed vegan. At the start of the March pandemic. Eight. I didn't even try, man. <laughs> and But I think about all I wanted to eat was comfort food, right? Everyone's baking oh, yeah. bread, and it's comfort. We're all in trauma, man. We need comfort. Comfort, right? And that, and it, we're the same way, just like we feed our bodies with those carbs and those comfort that we need. We're doing the same thing spiritually, emotionally, yeah. politically, and it, it's dangerous. I understand yeah. why it happens, but it doesn't mean it's good. And Dude, I finally baked for the first time last night. You know, every, <laughs> this pandemic started, everybody's baking bread. Like, I'm like, that does not resonate with me at all. But I was in Trader Joe's the other day, and as soon as I walk in, they've got cans of this thing called, uh, it's corn, was it corn cookie mix, right? So... And I, I love me some cornbread. So I'm like, corn cookies, that's interesting. And I look at the look at the the can, and all I need is this mix, two sticks of butter, and an egg. And for a guy who can't bake to save his life, I'm like, I can handle that. So last night I bake a batch of corn cookies, drizzle some honey over them, and I'm like, I have I have not indulged in the in the in the comfort food like this since the start of the pandemic. You know, pandemic happened. It was all bags of kettle corn, potato chips, ice cream. I was like, I, I need some soothing because we're not going to be in this that long. And then I realized, oh, it's going to go on for a while. So like I stopped doing that. Got me the pull up bar, the 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 spin bike. I'm like Benjamin Button in this situation. I've got like, I've lost weight. I've got like muscle definition. But so, last night, man, I was like, nope, I'm, I'm hitting a wall. Gonna go make me some cookies. Well, I think that's a, that's a metaphor for, for I think, America in a lot of ways. Yeah. A lot of us have, it, it's, yes. hard to, it's hard yes, to push yourself in this moment to, to, to find commonality with others, to listen to others, to, to be challenged, to be, to be pushed, right? It's so exhausting yeah, to bad try too. to stay in relationship. Mm, yeah. It is so exhausting to hear people who are backing a candidate and defending a candidate and policies of this candidate and to try to hold intention that maybe they are people who, from their perspective, are making the best decision that they know how to make, that they are well-intentioned people of faith in many cases, yeah. whose faith is not any more hypocritical or disingenuous than my own, They right? are because we're all flawed in that. Like us. Yeah. Uh, for me to hold on to that, as opposed to taking the easy route yep. of right, finding some... Oh, did we lose Broad oh, category. Oh, there he is. So you froze you for a moment, but you're back. You're back. I froze for a second, but this is so good, Kirk. Keep going. Finding some reason to write them off mm -hmm. as being, you know, bigots, racists, rednecks, morons, you know, whatever the, the, the deplorables. 
De- deplorables. Oh. Yeah. Lost her the election. Anyway, uh, that's, that's, another, that's another, another conversation. End. But it's the other end. But the other, but the, yeah. but the other, you know, it's just exhausting. And I just don't always have the energy to extend that graciousness or to try to extend that graciousness. It is hard. It 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 is hard. Um, and to your to your point about the policies, um, I don't know that a lot of those folks are taking their time to know what the policies are, and 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 I may be just saying this from a personal perspective. Um, I've got a couple of friends who were the last people on earth that I thought would be Trump supporters, but they've shared with me they're voting for Trump, and I was like, okay. Let's let's talk about that because you're you're the first people I know who are like in my in my personal circle and not just my like peripheral circle. Like you're part of my like maybe not my closest inside circle of eight people, but you're you're in the 20, you're in the in the 30. Like why? And most of the reason they're talking about voting for Trump is because they've been uh the other end that the Mm-hmm. left and the progressives have done for the right has really turned them off so their yeah. solution is bring the vote for trump i'm like okay i can hear that and do you understand that when you vote for him you're really voting no matter who you vote for whether it's trump or Biden, you are really voting for the policies that from day one of their presidency they're going to try to make happen so can you tell me the policies that he's tried to put in place in the last four years that you support? And that's sort of where the conversation ends for them because they can't mm. pull up at least two or three. Like I am the one who can say, okay, I'll play devil's advocate and say, hey, you know, it seems by all measures that he's done some good work around prison reform or even though if I deep dive far enough I can see the 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 flaws in it but it's more than you know anyone's done in a long time so I can give him half a point for that what is it that you like and nothing right because that's that's where the argument ends and for so many of them it's really not about the policies and I'm like I don't I don't care who he is like there's a piece of me that honestly and i hate to say this on record there's a piece of me that truly admires the car salesman hucksterism con man that he has right like i when i heard that he was coming out of the hospital after he had covid and wanted to do that whole superman shirt thing did you guys hear about this you didn't hear about this so apparently when he, you know, he went to Walter Reed, he got COVID and he came back and, and, and he floated the idea of when he came back to the White House and the, and the, you know, he got out the helicopter and he went to the balcony, he was going to wear a Superman t-shirt under his suit and, and like rip his shirt open and have the Superman logo on. And I got to tell you, there was a piece of me that was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, that is so insanely showmanship. And like the audaciousness of a someone to say, I don't care about the regular decorum of the president, the presidency. I'm I'm going to do this. Like there's a piece of me that 
can't and that probably says more about me than it is about him i that that admires just the like showmanship of this right not enough that i'm ever gonna vote for him by all means i'm never gonna do that because i realized at the end of the day he's still gonna try to put stephen miller's immigration policies in place right so <laughs> there's no way i'm ever gonna vote for that man but but people get caught up in the showmanship of of what he's doing the the, the the you know the frank speakingness of him when george w like i'm a guy he's a guy you can have a beer with beer well with, you yeah. have a beer with anybody please uh, i'd you know, much rather have a beer with you guys thank you so you know that's that that sort of thing like i get how that that can be attractive to people but at the same point in time that's not what you're voting for you're really not voting for that but i think people uh lose sight of that and then it becomes the the otherisms uh, it's really fun to watch uh, on The Daily Show when Jordan Klepper goes to Trump rallies and interviews uh, uh, people at the rallies because for them, those are people totally caught up in the show yep. and have lost touch with um, uh, these are policies that have nothing to do with loving your neighbor as yourself. Nothing. But ultimately for us to try to understand them to to be able to listen to them to be able to try to have dialogue with them i mean that's the only way that we're really gonna gonna see any change in my opinion i mean you can shout all you want post all you want on yeah. social media. that's not actually going to change someone's mind that's yeah. not actually going to bring someone around to understanding and i think what kirk said is like that work is really important but it is exhausting it is. it is so hard. And you know what? It's so much easier just to block them on Facebook and just to only hear the things that <laughs> I want to hear that agree with me and that just keep me in my, my good bubble. And I think um, I, it's work. It's real work. It, 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 is, work. it is work. And, and so, so I mentioned I'd been speaking <laughs> with, with these two friends who you know are now voting for Trump. We're the last people I thought would. And uh, so we did this whole discourse about, you know, what are the policies and yada, yada, yada. And we went back and forth and so on and so forth. And then at the end of the conversation, I said uh, to one of them, oh, by the way, um, a mutual friend that we have or a person that we know was just diagnosed with uh, stage three brain cancer. Can you pray for them? Can you hold them in prayer? Can you send them some healing energy? And they were like, yeah, we can do that. And we came back to finding that sort of like center in common ground around it. And that's the thing. We can disagree on policies. We can disagree on who we vote for. But when we use that as the excuse to drive this sort of like um, 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 permanent fracture between people, then it, it, it's an issue. And to that same point, there have been people who have severed friendships uh, in the last four years because of this. Like a lot of people for the first time realized who their friends really were. <laughs> you know, like they didn't know before or they couldn't see before or their friends hit it before. But they've been a lot of friendships that have been severed in the last four years that are not coming back. And I don't honestly don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. But I don't know. Look, I also fully respect the point of view of people that say that, you know, someone who supports him, forget it, you're, you're done to me, you know? And, and if I was someone who, I mean, I don't even need to be someone who, but I'm, you know, if, if someone has the chance of their 
same-sex marriage no longer, you know, being legal. Someone yeah. who, you know, fears for not being able to actually have rights to their own body and their own reproductive choices, like these these kind of worst case scenarios that could come out. Do I do I understand where they're coming from that they want to cut those other people, anyone who voted from Trump, completely out of their life? I totally understand it. I and I don't fault them for it. Um, I get it. I, I I don't know if it's where I come from personally, but but I, I understand it. I do too, but it doesn't it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't help anything. It doesn't solve anything. It just makes us I, more yeah. divided and polarized. And that's one more or less person that uh, you can lean on and that can lean on you. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird place to be. Um, and that's a great up note to end the. <laughs> I feel so much better than. Oh <laughs> uh, well. As, as, as Doc McStuffin says, I feel better, so much better. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it home, man. <laughs> but we do want to say to you, uh, if you listen to this before November 3rd, uh, please go vote. Um, this is, yes. and, and this, is, this is how, and we're not going to tell you who to vote for, but if you're listening to this show, I think you probably know. Um, <laughs> This is your this is your way of being involved um, as a person who was um, a permanent resident for many many years who did not participate in the electoral process. Um, thrilled to announce that I I voted for the first time uh, this past week. Um, hey, Mazeltov! Thank you. Thanks to my daughter calling out my hypocrisy. Yeah, that's that's what your kids will do for you. Remember when I mentioned relationships are the greatest spiritual practice right after that is parenting. <laughs> so, yeah. So my daughter and I, uh, she, uh, she just turned 20 and this is the first presidential election that she's eligible to vote in. Uh, so we both voted um, remotely by mail for the first time. And I'm glad to be part of the process. And so I want to encourage if you have not voted yet if you've not even registered some depending on what state you're listening to your date to register might have passed but some states you still can check it out uh, if you have not voted yet please vote create a plan for voting be part of the process do not become so numb and disenchanted that you say it your vote doesn't matter i think if, if there's anything we learned from the 2016 election is that every vote really does count <laughs> I'll remind people in Pennsylvania, which is a crucial state yes. where Kirk and I are, the election was decided by 44,000 votes four years ago, and 4 million Pennsylvanians didn't cast their ballot who were eligible. Yeah. So please, if you're registered, Pennsylvania, the early voting is done, but you can vote November 3rd at your local polling place, vote.org. You can find all your information. Exactly. And pack a lunch because... It's the United States, so we're, we're, you're going to have a wait. <laughs> you're going to have a wait if you're voting on the third. Pack a lunch, pack some drinks. Like, you know, uh, no matter who you are in line with, uh, extend some neighborly love to them, even if they're not voting the same way you are. Because regardless of who wins this election, it affects all of us. So yeah. that being said, uh, thank you to uh, Rabbi Eli for 
returning and sitting in with us. Thank you, uh, Kirk, for uh, sitting in for Shannon. And and we'd like to thank the originator of Pub Theology who came up with our questions. We say this, but I don't know if we are really in gratitude or if that's because sometimes the questions are just like, seriously, Brian. I think they're great. We should do like, you know, when you ever watch this American or listen to this American life. Yeah. And they, uh, the, the co-founder, Mr. Tori Malatio, and they always like put some random quote to him at the end. Do you ever listen that far? We need to do that with Brian. You know, listen, one, one time Shannon and I had to sit down with him and have a come to Jesus moment. I'm like, dude, stop sliding your campaign questions into the script. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> no, this is not what the show's for. <laughs> How's Brian doing? Is he doing okay in the polls? He, he is. I don't know about the polls, but I know, I know that uh, it's, it's crunch time for him um, or, or founder originator Brian is running for Congress. If perchance you didn't know that. Um, so yeah, but he's, uh, he's doing some good work and I think he's looking pretty good. So we'll see um, how it, how it turns out. And we also like to thank our producer, Derek Weston. Connect and spread the word on social media. Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. Watch us live on Facebook, Tuesdays, 5-ish, um, after the election, when we can take back control of the, uh, what do you call it, of the Zoom platform. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash ptlive for more content. Please make a $25 or more contribution to nogethungry.org and get a free Tumblr. You can find and create Pub Theology in your town information at pubtheology.com slash directory. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing.